Hi, and welcome to Fossilfern Christian Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message, and it will both challenge and inspire you. Well, welcome to church. Let's turn to the Word of God right now. And this morning, I want to read from Matthew 5, 1 to 12, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and he, and he was seated, uh, and he was seated, his disciples came to him. And he was seated, his disciples came to him. Let me get that right. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, um, that's a funny phrase. I thought, I, why did he put that in? Of course he opened his mouth to speak. He's not a ventriloquist. And, and then I realized what they're trying to say. He spoke with some power and authority. He really started to address some stuff. He grabbed their attention. He was, he was speaking and people were listening. Okay? So he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you re, uh, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, for my sake, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, as I was preparing this, I realised that today is going to be an introduction, solely an introduction uh, to this profound. And, and one of the things I'm so eagerly to, waiting to uh, get into is the fact that we're not blessed when we get out of these situations as, as we... We, we probably know that, but we don't act like that. We, we're looking for the blessing that's going to get us. But he said we're actually blessed in them, right? I, I can't wait to get to that. Uh, but the, today, I, I, I need basically to lay a really good foundation. So I'm going to try my best to be laying that foundation today. Um, in this season, the Christmas season, New Year's season, we traditionally greet each other with blessings. And, and in the past, they quite powerful we wish you a merry christmas and a happy new year in the past it's been a it's not only been a source of greeting but encouragement in fact there's incredible power in those words wish you a merry christmas and a happy new year um i remember hearing i wish you a merry christmas and a blessed new year i wish you a merry christmas and a prosperous new year in fact um i came up was grown up well, literally, split story, but there was a part of my life as a young man, I, I was spent a lot of time with my grandmother and my mother's side of the family and uh, came from Australian culture where we basically flitted around, had no context, didn't know nothing, to a very strong community with some very traditional views. And, and what used to... It was strange to me, but what... I don't know if you'll remember this, but what happened to me one time was... Um, New Year's Eve, my first New Year's Eve with the extended family, um, I was asked 
just before midnight, to take a lump of coal, to nip out the back door, run round the front, knock on the door and be the first one into the house that year. Anybody heard of that? Anybody practice that? Any pommies here? Any Northern Englanders? Well, anyway, actually this works to my advantage because I can stretch the truth a bit. Nobody would know the difference. Oh, sorry, my wife's here. I can never do that. Um, but here's the deal. That, that was that tradition and mindset that they thought, whoever's in the first one in the house will bring a kind of influence that would settle for the rest of the year. So they always wanted someone they thought who was reasonable or lucky or blessed or, or what. I don't know why they got me. Maybe it's because they hadn't seen me. So I grew up in Australia, got sent back, uh, and they had me had me come into the house carrying a clump of coal. I don't know if that's because they were from uh, Shotton or Newcastle area, Geordies, Durham Way, where there was all the coal mines. I don't know if it had something to do with that. I don't know what it had to do with the coal, but I had to carry a piece of coal. But there used to be significant influence in the blessings. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a prosperous New Year. And we still, it's on cards everywhere. Well, not that you see many cards nowadays, but it's on Facebook everywhere, which is a bit of a cheap thing. Everybody able to send the blessings and the greetings. It's sort of taking the uh, significance out of it. Um, but it, it, it was a very powerful proclamation. And, there, and you know, there's powers in, in the words that we speak. So here we have this traditional blessing for Merry Christmas and a prosperous New Year. A blessed new year. Um, and because of that reason, I, I wanted to look at blessings. Because, you know, we want blessings, don't we? We need blessings. We, it's our intention. We work very hard to see that people are blessed in and through the church. Um, for example, that people get strong in their faith. Um, marriages are blessed. Families are blessed. We see our children and our grandchildren growing up in the house of the Lord, serving. These, that's what we work to, to work to see the blessings manifest or make things better for people, right? And so um, I thought, I, we need to talk about blessings. So where else? A logical thing. Uh, when Jesus sits and goes, blessed are you. I thought, well, that's the place to start, isn't it? Yeah? Anyway, it might be just me. But anyway, I thought that's a good place to start. So we started with the Beatitudes. And so when I was looking at what does this word really mean, um, and, and there's several definitions, but I love the one um, that I found that said the supreme blessedness, a state of supreme blessedness, um, the Beatitudes. Uh, so I want to look at this thing but as I started to meditate think about this and even do a bit of research I I just realized that I'm not sure if we really understand the word blessed as the scripture intended I think it's like Shane Willard talked about the power of words the real power isn't in the word but what you think of the word the the picture post in your mind, your understanding of that word. And, and I think that has changed. 
And I think it's changed dangerously, especially in the church. Uh, so as we start to get into this, I realize that if, if we're going to get anything out of these scriptures, we better understand what the word blessed means. We, we better get a scriptural view of this word. So at least we're all on the same page and we've not got you know, tens of different definitions. And so we're looking at things differently through that filter, but we're all on the same page. So before we get into Jesus' address, let's look at the people he's addressing. And, and we find that in the previous chapter in Matthew 4, 23 to 25. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. This is his crowd, the multitude, who were gathered to him who were sitting on the hill that day. Now remember, um, most of these people were poor and needy. Most of these people were genuine seekers. They, they were looking for God. They were looking for something that's going to make life better. So, so the majority, of the, admittedly, there's probably a few spectators there who are just there for the sensationalism. I've, I've heard or seen some of the miracles, the signs, the wonders, and, and, and just want to see it from themselves. So there's some spectators, probably some Pharisees there waiting to catch him out and trim. But the majority of these people are poor and needy people. Genuine seekers of truth, even though they don't know it or recognize it yet. And remember, these people, they're incredibly, they're greatly oppressed under a tyrannical reign of, of Rome. And, and their only hope was their God. But for centuries they've been told that God is angry with them. How much hope's in that crowd? But Jesus has given something to spark that hope into life. He, they've heard him, they've seen him, they've witnessed. He's, he's been preaching in the synagogues. He's been preaching everywhere. He's been teaching. He's, he's been healing. He's been delivering. He's been sending people. Hope is stirring. They still don't know. They don't know him. They don't understand fully what he means. But, but they're, they're seeking, they're looking, there's... All of a sudden, there's a, a cause, a reason for hope. So here, here they are, greatly oppressed by Rome. Um, and we've heard over this video series the horrors of what that meant to the rest of the known world at that time. Uh, and now, they've got something to hope in. And, 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 and I, I want to say that I'm not suggesting that we are in exactly the same predicament as they. I, I think... Theirs would have been beyond comprehension. You know, I, I know uh, in decades past, you'd watch a war movie and it was like they were made heroes. They, it was like, you know, the, um, 
the thing to do. There's so romance about it all. But the truth is, nowadays, we, even the other day, we was watched something about a, um, the, and it was based on a true story of the um, Allied forces advancing into Berlin and the Berlin, uh, the Germans trying to protect and, and the horrors of that on both sides. And it actually was one of those movies that actually portrayed or truly accurately portrayed what the soldiers were feeling, the despair, the hopelessness, the senselessness, the cruelty. It was, it was and we both say, and, and we've said this several times in several movies, I'm so glad I wasn't alive in that period of time. I am so glad. Although we've, Jane's dad was there and, and some of my relatives were in that... It, but, you know, even the Vietnam situation, I'm so glad that I was born when I was born. Because I am utterly convinced that we live in the best period of time, even though we've got our challenges, that this world has ever seen. And, and not only that, I believe we live in the best nation on the planet. I was at the state conference, I might have told you this, and, and someone was sharing about there was with a group of guys who were criticising and complaining about how bad it, everything is here in Australia. And, and the guest speaker was international turned and said to them, well, where are you going to go? Implying that everywhere else is worse. And I do believe that. I believe we are blessed. We are highly favoured. We live in a great place in a great time. Yes, we've got our challenges and life isn't easy. But the deal is compared... Like, we talk regularly with our friends in Indonesia and, and India, and, you know, we're cruising. I know it, there's a high price to pay, but right now what they've been through, I don't feel I've got the right to complain at all. Anyway, uh, my opinion. So, I'm not saying that in any way we've got it like they have, but I, wanted in, I want you to realise that probably spiritually we have. Anybody seen the first Matrix movie? Anybody understand it? Really, I never saw it until my friend, he didn't understand it, showed me it and it was like obvious to me what it was all about. But I think it's just like that, um, spiritually. See, they're getting on life, thinking life's good, but really in reality they're imprisoned. Uh, they're enslaved. Uh, but the deal is, so are we in sin. So I think there is something spiritually that we can identify with these people. And, and I think we need to understand who Jesus is addressing so that we can understand the power of his words. Because he knew what he was saying to them. He knew who he was talking to. And, and very specific and deliberately preached an incredibly powerful message to people who understood about poverty, about you know, suppression about the whole deal, and yet somehow he's helping them to see that there's a blessing in here. I, I, I want you to notice that uh, Jesus' preaching, teaching statements here don't in any way relate to salvation. He's not talking about getting saved. Um, but what he is doing, he's talking about the daily life of a different kind of kingdom. A kingdom they've never seen before, experienced before. Uh, in fact, I heard it, I read that it's implied that this, a better title for this passage would be not the Beatitudes, but the Attitudes of the Kingdom, because it's an attitude thing. 
um, that this is not something that we have to accomplish to secure citizenship in this new kingdom. On the contrary, saying once you get in this kingdom, this is revelation of the transforming power of God's grace at work in the kingdom. Okay? Um, What they heard that day would have been far different from what they were expecting to hear. Remember, these are oppressed people, enslaved. And so they're waiting for a deliverer. They're waiting for the Messiah to come, the promised Messiah, the deliverer to come. And so what they're expecting is a warrior, a general, a leader. And, and, the, and the truth is, what they're really expecting is for him to rise up and reverse the roles of Rome and Jerusalem. They wanted to be the ones that were dominating, that were in control, that were calling the shots, and let the Romans be the people who suffer. But see, the outcome would have been the same. The only difference would have been a different crowd of people would be suffering. And, and that's what happens in the world system. Um, they didn't want him just to overthrow or defeat Rome. He, they wanted him to annihilate Rome. And reverse the roles. But under Jesus' government, it's not how he works. See, see, under that system, under the world system, nothing changes. The names might be different, but everything's exactly the same. Can you see that? But under Jesus' system, under Jesus' government, everything changed. His way of government is completely unique. There has never been, nor ever will be, until he takes his place, a governmental system like it. In fact, it's so different, it's difficult for us to comprehend how this would work or what it even looks like. But here's Jesus. He's addressing these people who stirred up their hope and they're looking, they're genuine searchers, and he starts to say, I've got something different. I've got something better. And this is what it looks like. See, the the truth is, and you know this, you can't legislate to change minds or to change hearts. It doesn't matter how many rules or regulations, it doesn't matter how severe the penalties, it doesn't matter what kind of laws you word and bring and act. The deal is, it doesn't change people on the inside. In fact, it reveals what's on the inside. Can you see that? We learned that many years ago, one of the first things we did as Christians, we, was joined, we joined an organization who was helping street kids because we sort of connected, identified with some of the kids. We saw similarities in our upcoming and theirs and what they were going. And we, we genuinely wanted to help. And so we started uh, with this guy, Pastor Bob Williams. We started working with him. And, and then all of a sudden, the numbers grew and, and things just took over and we became a proper a non-for-profit organisation and we, we had to set rules and regulations and we were getting referrals now from police and courts and schools and it was just incredible what, how it happened. Um, but we said, we, well, we need some kind of rules here. We, so we started, we started putting a list of rules down and, and it, it never changed nothing. In fact, it inspired the kids. They thought, well, we can't do that. What can we do? So every week we had to put more rules down. 
And they were taking it as a challenge, saying, okay, let's find what they haven't put down. Let's do that. And it was just terrible. So we started to change the whole philosophy. We started working off principles, the principles of participation, the principles of respect, the principles of legality. And uh, what was the fourth one? can't remember now. But they were good principles. And we start every week, we used to instill, the, these are the principles that we work off here. And, and it, was, it was a lot better than trying to put the laws, because the laws, you can't legislate to bring change. It's the truth. You all know that. Anyway, so, um, but here's what happens. The Jews back then, we're literally hoping that the Messiah would come and he would literally reverse the roles, right? And uh, so when Jesus gets up and starts speaking, they would have been absolutely horrified. But there's this hope that's growing and so they're listening and going, what the? This is like foreign language. What, what's this mean? How, how do you do? And, and so... Um, Jesus was saying it's completely different in his kingdom. In his kingdom, everything changes. Uh, it's not even remotely close to anything of the world. Sure, you can use power and fear to force people to do some certain stuff, but you can't change what's in their heart. When I, when I was working through this, this is the point I came to realise where, where we, can't, we can't really get anything from this until we understand his thing about being blessed, blessed. Until we got some idea of what that really refers to, um, all we'll be doing is bringing in a new lot of commandments. I, you know, I struggle to comprehend certain people hang on to the Ten Commandments and try to enforce them where the reality is not one person ever, save one, could ever fill all the requirements of the commandments. So why would you force people into something that's impossible? The, the commandments are pure and holy. I'm not saying they're poor or weak. Just like Paul, he's saying they're there to reveal there's a problem and to highlight that problem so that then God brings in the solution to that problem. And, and, and that's why Jesus, one of Jesus' titles is the Lamb of God slain for before the foundation of the world because God was aware. He had a plan of purpose. And so I don't think we're going to really comprehend in fact, the truth is I've heard sermons preached from the Beatitudes and, and it's like another set of Ten Commandments on top of what we've already got. Not what it's really all about. So we need to understand that word blessed or get some understanding of the concept of that word blessed. And, and I'm talking about, I'm talking about in, a, in a biblical, in a scriptural sense, in a kingdom sense. Um... And I need to labour this a little bit 
I know I might be stating the obvious, and I know most of you would agree with me anyway, but, but we, I need to labour on this just a little bit to get this point established so that when we can get into what he's saying about that blessed state. So um, I think the problem is we've translated the word blessed in from, from its original purpose, intent, into what we we see as being happy, comfortable, or prosperous, right? Because I, I was, that's what we really mean when, we, when the world uses the word blessed, and that's part of the problem. We've embraced some of the world's philosophies and understandings, and, and all words change over time. You know that. There's, words are changing all the time, and I think we've lost the scriptural sense of the word blessed and we've replaced it with what the world suggests it means, and, and it means happy or comfortable or prosperous. And we measure that with our possessions or our positions. We strive for more because we think then we'll be blessed. And I must be blessed because look at the car I drive, look at the house I live in, look at my title, look at how many people are under me. Look, look, look at the predominance I'm given. And, and that's how we measure whether I'm... And unfortunately, because most of us don't have that, it leaves us feeling a little bit envious, jealousy, just um, judgmental, awkward. Because, you know, if, if a state of being blessed means I'm comfortable, I'm happy, I'm comfortable, I'm prosperous, and we measure that by possessions or positions... And not everybody can have those possessions or positions. What does it make the rest of us feel like? Less. And we don't often... Some people show that with the Eeyore thing. Woe is me. It's what I deserve. My house is windy, drafty and full with snow. But that's all right because it's only my house. We, we, that or we get judgmental and critical... And we don't say it, but we're really jealous. Am I making sense still? Yet or still? What's the word? Anyway. Um, I want us to literally stare. And, and I was going to say look, but I don't want us just to look or glance. I want us to really focus in and stare at a couple of verses that describe what the early church considered a state of blessedness is, okay? And so um, I'm going to read from James 1, 2 to 4. And, and you're going to need to think. And, and we're going we're gonna to not just glance at it. We, I want you to stare at it. We haven't got much time to talk about it, but I want you to stare at this. James 1, 2 to 4, again from the New King James Version. My brethren, count it all joy. Be really happy. Uh, when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. I I'm going to do a big paraphrase. I'm going to put the Lumliver... Let patience have its perfect word that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking nothing, that you may be really blessed. It's related to the strength of your faith. Not just what you believe, but how you work that out. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Be happy about it. Get comfortable in it. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience and faith. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing prosperous. I think the early church had a completely different concept about the state of being blessed. I think it related to kingdom. I think it related more to spiritual matters than physical matters. I think the early church had that advantage because the whole known world that received the gospel was under incredible persecution. And as we've been listening to the eight, last eight weeks, under one world government, under one man who thought he was God, under one fine currency, under one commercial system, the whole known world. No wonder the gospel was received so well. But no wonder the early church had a different view on what it meant to be blessed. Because it wasn't being taken out of that, but it's being built up in that. Being secure in that. Being confident in that. Let me take it a step further and go towards the end of the book. James 5, 10 and 11, New King James Version. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. I don't know if you know a little bit about Job, but what he went through with his family and everything that he owned. He was a wealthy man. He was stripped of very, And he had to endure it. And, and he persevered through it. Uh, but the thing is, at the end, the Lord blessed him. The Lord's intended end. See, see, we have to get our measuring stick and change it. We have to swap it for not what would I like, but what's his intended end for me? The prophets who suffered and endured, he said, we count them blessed. Not the ones who had it easy and comfortable and were... Sorry, you know, headlining and spectacular words. and No, no, the ones who had to work through something, go through something, they endured it and he said, we count them, they're blessed. Because it wasn't in their, obviously it wasn't in their own strength or might, but the Lord was with them and enabled them to endure it. I, I, hope, I hope I'm challenging our understanding and concept of what it is to be blessed. I want us all to be blessed. But it might not mean that we're comfortable and it might not mean that we'll get everything we want. But I'll tell you what, if we're blessed, 
we'll end up in the Lord's intended end for our lives. What, what's his intended end? Um, you could say, and partly right, it could be with him in eternity. But I think more than that, his intended end is that he might have mature sons and daughters. That the kids are growing up and they're growing up really good. I don't know about you, but as a father and a grandfather, there's nothing that delights me quite like seeing my children do really well. And especially when I see my grandchildren doing really well. Yeah, that's my fussy warm moment right there. I love that. So imagine God the Father. What's his intended end for us? It's not just to occupy eternity with him. And, and that's the thing that's blown me away over recent months. The thought that, you know, um, we talk about being blessed and the wonder, the amazement, the awe of grace. And, how one, and it is, and I'm not belittling that. But God could have worked out a way where we could have been forgiven and have access to heaven and eternity with him. But he went above and beyond that and he made a way where we literally become his children. His children. For me, that's the biggest, most amazing thing that I'm beginning to see. Not just the fact that I'm forgiven. That's, I mean, that's incomprehensible for me. I don't know how that works. But he, through his blood, through the sacrament, he paid the price. I'm forgiven. I've been given access. And I'm going to have eternity with him. I, that's, I mean, that's awesome. But the fact that not only that, he didn't finish there. He said, no, no, now you're going to be my sons and my daughters. The spirit of adoption is on and we can call him not just the title father, but intimate papa, Abba. Blessed. How blessed are we when we will reach the father's intended end? Ultimately, I think it's obvious the goals of the early church were quite different from the goals of our era, the church of this area, which does at times, I admit, cause me some concern. When we, Because I, I think we're me- using the world's measurements of success to see how well we're doing. And I'm not just talking about church, but I'm including church. I'm including myself, but I'm talking about us. When we, as human beings, Use the world's measuring system to determine if we're successful or not. Where the truth is, the real truth is, underlying truth is, God never called us to be successful. He called us to be faithful. Well done, good and faithful. As Paul explains later, you know, there's one souls and other waters and the thing, but only God adds the increase. Let God do what God do, we do what we're doing, and that's be faithful. But the, the sad thing is, even as Christians... As followers of Jesus Christ, we use the world's system to measure if we're good or not. See, it's not about, wasn't surviving for the early church. And the other extreme of that, of course, is possessions and positions. But it was about living kingdom which is translated uh, the supreme blessedness. 
And, and if we're honest, and I just want to dumb that right down for me and for all of us, and simplify it the best I can, the most accurate way of simplifying it, is simply this, becoming more like Jesus. Because isn't that what the Beatitudes is about? Not rules or regulations. But it's, it's saying, in, in this new kingdom, this is the way the kingdom, this is the way the king thinks, this is the way the king acts. And every quality that we will look at soon, not today, is actually an attribute of Christ. Was actually displayed by Christ. Was Because it's not an act, it's not something he tried to do. It was just him being him. And this is what he did. So the Beatitudes is saying, this is, how Jesus, this is Jesus' attitude. This is the attitude of the king of the kingdom. And therefore, this is the attitude of the citizens of the kingdom. So what it's all about, and we're not even there yet. But everything he states there is the way he, dis- he displayed these things, actually. It's recorded for us. It's literally about him. In 2 Peter 1, 2 and 4, we read this. Listen carefully. Let's stare at this a little bit. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. I said, I used a little phrase at the beginning and and talked about the Beatitudes are not a new set of rules and regulations. They're not new commandments or added to the law at all. In fact, they're descriptive of the transforming power of God's grace active within the kingdom. And now we read this. Multiplied to you in the knowledge of our God and of Jesus Christ. Grace and peace multiplied in the knowledge to you. The knowledge of God and of Jesus So, the knowledge of God and of Jesus, the more we get to know him, the more grace and peace is multiplied. Can you see that? We're we're striving to get peace. We're working hard to get peace. But but we don't find it. Why? Because it comes through him. And, And it comes through him by us knowing him, experiencing him. His divine power has given to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. It's not something we have to go out and make happen. But it says here, it's been given everything we need for this kind of life. Everything we need for godliness has been given. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't work. We can't manipulate. We can't make it happen. He says, it's been already given to us. But it comes through the knowledge again, through knowing him. 
I talked about this Christmas morning when we used the uh, Isaiah 9, the traditional Christians, that for unto us a son is given, unto us a son is born, and the government will be on his shoulders. And the increase of his government and peace will know no end, will know no end. And, and I suggested that the peace that we're looking for is connected to the government that we're allowing to reign in our lives. And the more we get his government reigning in our lives, the greater the peace is. And he's confirmed that in this verse here. He's given us all things that pertain to life and goodness through the knowledge of him. It's already given to us. So you know what that means? If we're not seeing it, it's because we don't know him well enough. Oh, that we would not use the world's morals to gauge our lives because they're ineffective. But that we would more intentionally before we act, before we make it, we even more intentionally, that little cliche, what would Jesus do? I'm hesitant using cliches and it's been mocked so much, but it's incredibly powerful. If we get more intentional about saying, looking at Jesus in this, get, getting Jesus' view on this before we make a decision and go out and do it. He won't force us, by the way. He's, He's not in control of our lives. We set, set us free to control our own lives, to make the decision, the power of decision, and we suffer the consequences of that. But if we would intentionally, before we make the decision, before we react, if we could just take a breath and put the brake on, bite down on the bridle and not speak, if we would just deliberately, intentionally think, and let Jesus' influence through. Just influence our decision, our thinking, our actions, our talking. If we could just... How much things would be better? I know. You know, um, we've experienced, but recently... It's sad to see so many Christians going through... Very difficult times. And, and as Christians, we're going to go through them. We've been told that. And, and we're to relax in that and we're to consider it joy. But, but there's a line. And, and the sad thing is so many Christians are going through stuff as consequences of really poor decisions. If we would have just stopped and gone, what would the Jesus thing to do? What would the kingdom thing to be? And done that instead, even though it might have cost us or been an inconvenience, if we would have done that, then the consequences would be so much better, so different. You hear what I'm saying now? Do I need some illustrations? Do I need to put some simple things? But I don't want to, because if I start saying some examples, people might get offended because they think, he's talking about me again. And I am. But I need you to like me for a little bit more, just a little bit more. Too many of us. And, and hear me, hear me. He said, can it all joy? Stuff's going to happen. But let stuff happen because it's a reaction to the godliness in our lives. Let it happen because we're doing something for the kingdom. Let, let it happen not because we've made a poor decision 
and use the world's moral system to justify a decision we make. Well, this is, how many times I, you know, how many, here I'm treading a fine line, but how many times people will explain to us and ask for prayer and help and will explain to us the problem they're in and then they used like the worldly justification to say, and we go, yeah, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. If we were to just put that handbrake on, bit down on a bit, just the bridle, just if we were just wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, what's the kingdom way in this? Just a few seconds, just a few minutes could change everything. But here's, let me get, I'm getting distracted. Let me get to the end of that verse. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. And that's important, but let me get to the bit I want to highlight today. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. What am I saying? Oh, that we might be a little bit more like Jesus. Partakers of the divine nature. That we might be the Beatitudes, being more like Jesus. More like Jesus, more like Jesus. And, and listen, as I felt during the worship this morning, we are earthenware vessels. We are dried. We are cracked and broken. And, and probably in the world's understanding, no good for anything, throw it away. But God's put this treasure inside of us. And he loves us. The potter, the creator even though we're dried, even though we're cracked, even though we're broken and not good. He's hidden this treasure in for us, but he loves us so much. He loves us. We're valued by him. Become more like Jesus. So, let me close with this thought. The power to become like Jesus has already been given to us. That's what it says. And the truth is, most of us, even though we might not be able to concisely describe it, most of us inwardly long for more of that because we know how far we fall short at times and we, we feel that because we should be smarter, we should be more mature and yet every now and again, you know, bang, there we go. Um, but each of us uh, inwardly long for more of that being Christ-like, being more like Jesus, uh, but part of the reason we're not seeing the fruit of that yet is that we're still looking at things through worldly morals instead of kingdom values. We still justify things by... And in the world it might sound right, might even sound wise, but compared to kingdom it's nothing because kingdom is completely different. That's why he said, you know, if uh, someone slaps your face, turn the other cheek. If someone takes your, your jacket, give them your coat as well. If someone... Take this, give them more. If they want you to carry it, carry it first. That's why Jesus completely contradicts anything of the world. Yet we continually look at things through worldly morals instead of kingdom values. It's within us. It's within our, it's attainable. Not by ourselves, but it's a gift. It's been given to us. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. And I will close with this. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, which means we have a freedom to choose. 
the power to stop, to think, to see. Verse 18, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm telling you, we're not like him because we're not looking at him. We can't see him clearly, but the more clearly we see, the more we look, the more we become like him. This is the whole message. It's so simple yet so profound. It's not, it's not adherence to the rules and regulations. It's not trying harder. It's looking more closely. We're just not looking. Because I think we've got our understanding of what blessings and how we measure blessings from the world. Hebrews 12.2 Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. The one who started this thing, who drew me into this thing before the world began, I was predestined by him to the finisher, the one who makes it complete, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking unto Jesus. How simple can it be? Looking unto Jesus. Last verse. Same verse, but from the Passion. Help us grasp it. Hebrews 12, verse 2, from the Passion Translation. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God, looking unto Jesus. What is God's intended aim for us? To be with him. Mature sons and daughters. How do we get there? Focusing on Jesus. Looking at Jesus. I'm telling you, we're going through trials and tribulations. We're going through persecution. There's opposition. When we get out together and start advancing the kingdom of God and seeing it established and then extended, there's going to be opposition all around. There's no doubt about it. It's undeniable. We've been warned. We've been told. And in that, we're supposed to be ready for it and count it all joy because there's a work going on that results in our maturity. But too many of us are suffering from poor decisions. The consequences of poor decisions. Why? Because we didn't take time to intentionally think about Jesus. The kingdom stuff. You're going right now. If that's his introduction, I ain't coming back for the rest. But I'm telling you, it's all about Jesus. And that state of supreme blessedness, it's ours. There's a peace, there's a joy, there's a hope that goes beyond anything yet we've yet to enjoy. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, right now, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that sets us free. I thank you, O oh God, Almighty God, our Father, that you love us so much that you said our whole lives are written down in your hands. 
before one of them was even real, before one of them came about. You're the one. You see the end from the beginning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray right now for each and every one of us. I pray that somehow by your spirit, you, you would breathe on my best efforts to try and transfer the thoughts that I have, the pictures I'm seeing, and, and let, let there be interpretation of what may appear to be tongues to some coming out of my mouth, but let the Spirit interpret it into the heart and the mind of each hearer. Oh, that we would see Jesus. Oh, that we would focus in on Jesus. Oh, that we would look to him as the author and the finisher of our faith. That, Lord, you would help us. Help us, oh God, especially in these days. Especially in these days, oh God, right now. To take time to think about kingdom. Let the kingdom influence our decisions. And while you won't force that, at least remind us at those times when we're about to make decisions that we stop and think about kingdom implications. And how it works through every decision we make. Now your blessing, your protection over us and our loved ones. Lord, more and more, your favor on our lives. And I ask that, Lord, we, your church, we, your people, will all grow in the knowledge of our God. In Jesus' name I pray and everybody said... Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you were blessed with today's message. You can connect with us at buspernchristianchurch.com. 